Hi, everybody. Welcome to Let's Be Direct. This is a lean access podcast where we talk all things transportation, all things supply chain, and of course, the future of the industry, which, as you know, is going direct. I'm Andrew Rivera, head of marketing for lean access, joined again, as always, by Johnny Nguyen, across the table from me. He's uh, our head of shipper partnerships and uh, lean access CEO and founder, Rick Burnett, joining us at uh, the head of the table. So guys, today we're going to talk about double brokering. Wow, this is a massive issue, uh, bigger than I think a lot of people realize. Last week, last week we talked about parking being such a, a major issue. Double brokering is even worse. So let me let me roll off a couple of stats here. First of all, the first the first question people asked is double brokering illegal? Now, in most cases, it is. Um, the only time double brokering can be legal is if a legitimate broker hands off a load to a carrier and that carrier has broker authority to basically subcontract to a third carrier, right? That's the only instance where double brokering is legal. Now, let, let's define double brokering, right? And this is from the Transportation Intermediaries Association, which is basically, you know, the, the, the head of the, the brokers nationwide. So they define a broker, double brokering as a broker selecting a trucking company to haul their freight and then unbeknownst to that broker, the trucking company proceeds to rebroker or double broker the load back out to another carrier that ultimately makes the haul. Now, in my view, there's actually five kinds of double brokering. There's, there's the legal double brokering that we talked about. There's the illegal uh, double brokering where a carrier without broker authority subcontracts to a, a third carrier. Uh, there's co-brokering, which is a whole different ball of wax. Um, there's triple brokering. And uh, another issue Rick, we've talked about in the past is purchase transportation, which I think we all consider a form of, of double brokering. Now, before I hand it over to you guys, I just want to run off some of these stats. are unbelievable. So this problem is, is getting worse. One of the largest factoring companies in the US said so double brokering is affecting upward of 500 million to $700 million in freight. Those are losses, almost a billion dollars due to illegal double brokering. Another prominent load board said that in Q1 of 2023, this year, they've seen a 400% increase in double brokering complaints. So I'll get into the legal side of this in a little bit and, and what the government is or is not doing about it. But let me open this up to discussion. Out of all the problems out there, Rick, uh, where do you stack double brokering? Um, well, before we get into that, let's talk about the economic impact of what what is the number of annual cost of a middle service of a broker load in general? And cite the source, because I know it's 200 in the north of $200 billion. Right, for managed fees. For managed fees, right? Okay, so you're talking about a process where there's a facilitation of somebody managing something, and you're talking about an economic impact of $200-plus billion a year, right? Okay, so that frames up the 
foundation behind the conversation. Now, behind that, double brokering means is that there is another margin that's introduced, a cost, if you will, that the current middle couldn't manage it. So then it's subcontracted out in the form of another brokerage, which means that the contractual contracted carrier that gets it subcontracts it out to another carrier, right? Okay. So each layer, obviously, that person that's doing this is not doing it for free. There is a monetary value cost that is, in, that is involved in each one of these trickle down, okay? And so what you also have an introduction in and where the factoring of the billion dollar loss is that there is now a contractual side of this, right? Because the loss means that there's no recourse because there's no contractual side because it's trickled down, right? And, and so, you know, to peel this onion back to the core, what are we actually talking about? Well, we're talking about freight movement, right? So a shipper manufacturer that or somebody that has product needs to move it, and then the middle facilitates that movement, and the reason that they use that middle in, in the form of a cost, which today is $200 billion, is they can't manage the process, right? That's the core of what we're, we're talking about, because ultimately a carrier is going to go pick up that load, and a driver that works for that carrier is going to pick it up and deliver it, and that's the core of, of this conversation, right? Okay, so... In that, we're talking about how many times does that paperwork of that get pushed down to be double, triple brokered, because ultimately it's the paperwork side, the money side of this, that is the conversational contractual side. Because ultimately it comes down to, there was a driver that went and picked up this load and he did deliver it, right? Now, when you introduce double, triple, into that equation, look at how many inefficiencies there are in that process. Because the shipper pays this broker or trucking company, and trucking company pays this trucking company, right? And then that bill of lading has to get ultimately back to that shipper of the confirmation that it was picked up and delivered. So I go to that because these are just, the cost aspect is one point. Obviously, it's the monetary side. It's it's one of the but there's massive amounts of soft costs that's also part of this because it's why there's so many inefficiencies that exist in this industry. Twenty, thirty billion dollars of empty miles, you know, and all the other things is because there's lack of transparency and there's so many core inefficiencies, right? So, Johnny, when when you're talking to shippers, okay, and in these conversations, why are they dealing with brokers today? The reason why they're dealing with brokers today is they don't have a wide network um, of carriers they can depend on. So they go to brokers because for them, it's easier to just set the rate that they want to the brokers and let them deal with, deal with everything from that point on. Yep. Release kind of that liability but then when something when something doesn't get done the way that they want that's when uh um they frantic they they feel more frantic because they don't have any um true visibility into what's uh, 
where their face will be. So let me let me just kind of bounce off that, Johnny. You know, this is, I think, one of those rare issues that affects all parties in a shipment movement, including legitimate brokers. Now, we've made no secret that, you know, we think brokers are an unnecessary piece of the freight movement equation. Um, but but here are the issues that are, that are facing everyone. It hurts shippers. That's your specialty. Because a lot of these loads are literally stolen. Cargo theft is right? a big, big deal. Cargo safety. A lot of times uh, uh, the double broker carrier doesn't even have insurance. Um, obviously, a lack of transparency. Shipper has no idea who's actually hauling that load. Um, and really, it comes down to it's so easy to just take a load. Well, let's start first with how easy it is to get an MC number. Sorry to say, but the DOT hands out MC numbers like nothing. All you need is, a, is an MC number to pretend like you're a carrier. Um, so it's sort of like going to Home Depot, just hiring someone to, you know, move your loads. Um, you know, the brokers are, are being hurt uh, in the sense that legitimate brokers uh, are often paying these carriers using what's called QuickBay, which is basically the, the broker's form of factory. Mm -hmm. So they've already paid this, this in, in initial carrier. That carrier takes the money, posts it on a load board. A third carrier picks it up. They actually move the load. And suddenly the broker's stuck having to pay two carriers. And that happens. Now, they don't have to necessarily, but they do because they want to maintain relationships and, and they still want to uh, reward the shipper. Uh, I'm sorry, the carrier who actually moved the load. So, um, I mean, would you agree that this is something that affects every piece of, of the su supply chain movement? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it definitely affects it. Uh, yeah. And you know, uh, you were talking to me about a movement where they're, they're actually pushing back against. Yeah, so there's a platform or a company called Carrier Sure, led by uh, Cassandra uh, Gaines. She's a transportation attorney. She um, is leading a, a, a movement called F Double Brokering. Uh, she, her and her. What's uh, F stand for? <laughs> Fuck double broker. Okay. No, I just want to be you know, so they, be clear. Uh, they yeah. wanted to actually make the uh, their state their their voices heard. So they uh, they were at TIA um, latest conference uh, um, last month uh, wearing these um, these shirts. A lot of people came out and uh, in support of this, but essentially um, she she wants to bring this to the broker's attention that they. Uh, they don't stand for it. Her clients don't stand for it. Uh, so yeah, it's it's really. I mean, it's a cool movement, man. You think so, Rick? Do you think these types of social movements are going to help create more awareness and make any impact? Um, it can't hurt, right? Um, and because when you look at these numbers, it just jumps off the page of, you know the cost i mean 200 billion dollars is a massive amount of money and you know when the and and we cite sources this isn't stuff that we make up this is all you know verifiable data that comes out and quite frankly a lot of the other things that's masked around the middle process isn't really reported that way well the other thing that's scary that we did talk very briefly earlier about was cargo theft right because of double brokers because you don't have the shipper doesn't have visibility 
well, number one, if a shipper doesn't even know they're being double brokered, I mean that the load has been um, has been double brokered, right? And then come to find that that load that they want they don't have tracking on it goes missing. Like how many? I guess that statistics is not um, or that statistics of car, how much money is lost um, due to um, cargo theft. We don't know, but it could be definitely in the billions as well. well I, I think the number that I cited earlier kind of reflects that anywhere from 500 million to 700 million. So we're looking at approaching a billion dollars. So let me just point out for a little more perspective, you know, wh what is the government's role in all of that? Right. right? So back in 2011, uh, they passed a measure. And uh, it was with the FMCSA. So one proposal was to find companies $10,000 per incident. Uh, that proposal got stuck in legal issues. My question is, how are you going to find companies that are fly-by-night companies in the first place, right. right? Because there are entire criminal groups devoted to just doing this. Uh, the famous one is the, the Glendale gang. Glendale, exactly. Yeah, I was yeah, just going to mention that. In the Los Angeles area. I mean, they, they literally run a criminal enterprise just on double brokering. Before I, I yeah. let you make your, your next point, um, there has just in in the last two months been some new legislation proposed, the Motor Carrier Safety Selection Act, and that would require shippers and brokers to verify some of uh, trucking registration requirements before they can be selected. So the problem is the FMCSA just doesn't have the manpower and then they run into too many legal roadblocks to actually have a real impact on this. So it's just the Wild West out there. Here, I, I want to read off a few red flags I'm reciting from CarrierShare um, uh, for it, uh, to prevent uh, double brokering. So one was, when you're looking up a carrier's um, information, look at carriers that have zero inspection in less than three months uh, of authority. Number two, when you're speaking with a it, your pro, uh, when you're speaking with a dispatch company when, instead of the carrier themselves, which oftentimes there's a ton of dispatch companies out there. Um, car you, you mentioned Glendale earlier, or if you're getting a call from a, a company from 80, um, 818, so that kind of puts everybody in 818 in a bad light. Um, uh, not providing truck drivers information, the carrier not providing truck driver information, uh, like their names or phone numbers. They wouldn't have that problem here at lane access. Um, you call the insurance broker and you find out the carrier only has one truck and it doesn't match the VIN um, on file. Uh, you mentioned earlier about quick pay and fuel advance. It's not always bad, but companies must watch out if their carrier is doing this at all times. Um, and then when it, when there is a problem, the carrier always will refer to um, owner operator, which is code word for double brokering. Just and there's a couple more in there, and let me just yeah. before Rick jumps in, any resistance to using tracking apps? Yes, a lot of these guys. That's pretty. I don't want to be right? tracked, right? Yeah, they wouldn't even give out the, their phone number. Yeah, so that's a massive red flag. Um, if they have just activated their authority, another red flag. Yeah. Um, if they won't provide their ELD locks, huge red flag. So I mean, there there's a lot of red flags out there. Um, so shippers should actually not only need to be aware of this, but make this part of their SOPs or, or part of their process of when they book um, or they confirm or tender a load. Right. So, Rick, I, th I think our, our point here is that 
you know, just like with trucking, which, you know, you've stated that that should really be run by the federal government, right? Well, government should provide trucking for truckers. I'm not, I'm not proposing that the government steps in on all parts of transportation. That, that I think we leave. What about double brokers? Well, I mean, yes, I think they should put laws around preventing that, but they're going to have to have some definition behind what is actually. And, you know, there's always going to be the point, well, we took on the load and we wanted to move the load for the shipper. So we, and our truck broke down. So we had to blah, blah, blah. Um, so we had to get another carrier to move it. So we were just trying to give the service to the shipper. And, and that could be true, right? Um, but I know in, in the form of the lion's share of this freight that is being subcontracted out from a contractual side, and this is, this is really hammering the purchase transportation because the majority of this freight of large shippers, they, they do RFPs and they request for a proposal. They send these lanes out. They contract the carriers. They get an annual contract rate. And what happens is these mega carriers and these brokers, 3PLs, they got this freight coming in every day and they know exactly what they're getting and what happens. Okay. Well, they already have a baked in profit margin period, because they know they can subcontract it out. Who's going to subcontract it out to who? The 97%. So these are the things that the, what I wanted to, for the audience that listens is we built a system that eliminates everything that's on that sheet of paper. Everything. 100%. Why? Because the person that has the freight is the shipper manufacturer. And you, as a carrier, you contract directly with them. Okay? And in order to register, your, your DOT number is verified from the DOT. We pull that once a month. We have all carriers that's licensed in the U.S. We pull that once a month. And if your DOT is restricted, you're restricted from using the network because you don't have operating authority, okay? Now you have to upload your insurance certificate and your insurance documentations, and it's verified of your, of your renewal date. So now the contractual side of this in the insurance protection of that you have enough to pick up and deliver this loan is at the core level, the base level between the shipper and the carrier. Now, when you download our app, you're a driver, you are connected to the network. It's not an arbitrary app that you're going to go down and play games on. It is an app that has a business function. Why? Because when I'm a driver, I have a CDL and I'm connected to that trucking company, I can only drive for one trucking company as a commercial driver's license. It's different than the apps that are out there that are delivery apps. Because if you have a driver's license, you can drive for DoorDash and Uber and, and Lyft and all these different things that you're delivering something, right? Trucking, you can't. If you have a CDL, you can only drive for that. Well, that is a one-on-one. -on -one. So that app, as you, the driver, is connected. So when you are tendered that load from the contractual side, you're the carrier, you confirm on the load, you, you contract directly with the shipper. Your price is negotiated directly and agreed upon with the shipper. The two parties that's involved in this move is direct. Now, when that shipper says yes to that price that you guys agreed upon, that payment is held in escrow. 
So when you get a rate confirmation from the network, you're guaranteed payment. Why? Because that money is insecured. Now, what happens? When you get a rate confirmation from the network and you assign it to the driver, you, as I already mentioned, work for that trucking company. You, you know, but, and you're communicating directly with the driver. So there's no fraudulent activity that can happen in this network because the defined process of the way the transportation movement's done is the way that the system is built. In order for any shipper of any size or anybody to deal with the amount of going to racks, you're going to need a system. You, or else you're going to have to hire a thousand people if you got three or four hundred loads a day, or five hundred or a thousand loads a day, because it's too labor intensive to track all this stuff down in a manual process. That's what makes the it's the system. It's not me. It's not you guys. The system that was built is managing this, right? And so, from a contractual side. To a load level side, confirm the rate. It's tracked in real time. There's real in-app messaging directly to the driver. You're getting geofence notification they arrive. You're getting loading and unloading times. You're getting electronic proof of delivery. And the payment is released directly to the carrier that he has a connected account in the network with his trucking company that's verified from Stripe that he is an operating authority trucking company. And the payment is released directly to him. That's it. And, and sorry to interrupt, but final thought, it's now we have our own private blockchain stored in an immutable ledger, which is software. Blockchain is just software. Immutable ledger is just software. Smart contract is just software. Don't be as scared of the terms. It's actually preventing fraud and these other things because if somebody says, oh, you didn't show up on time. Yeah, you can prove it because you have the breadcrumb trail and it's in immutable ledger that can't be manipulated changed. They're going to have to pay a, a, a late fee. They're going to have to pay you detention time. They're going to have to pay you blah, 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 right? Because the data is stored in an immutable ledger. That's what makes it powerful. And, and, and so all these things that are cost go away. When you go to wrecked, and what's a, what's a shipper do? A shipper needs to build unlimited amount of direct connections with carriers because 97% of this industry is why do you bet carriers? How does a shipper bet? He builds his network. He does his betting just like you do anything else as far as business. But everything in business, the reason why all these problems are there, because everything's reactive right now. I got a load right now. And you're trying to fill this load right now. When you come to the network, you plan. You build hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of carriers. And you, through the internet, click, verify, click, verify, verify, click. It's easy. And you're managing it. And once they're approved, Right? Unless they lose their operating authority, do you have to manage that? No, the system does. Right? So once you set your account up, it's just like all these other things that we do electronically and more efficient direct, we had to take the time to learn to set up. But once we do, right, what happens? Well, it took us a decade to build the system. Why? Because of all the various different complications that go into supply chain in a transportation movement and it's agnostic to freight type and all the other various different attributes and yet a mobile app that connects to it and all these things that we talked about to eliminate all these problems and these costs and these inefficiencies. So this whole point of conversation, this stuff goes away uh, in a direct network 
because you'll get rid of all this stuff. So my answer is not legislative because the government, they don't, independent carriers don't want more regulation. They want a good opportunity. They want to make a good living and they want to do a good job and they want to pick up a load and want to deliver a load. And through the system, what's going to happen? The bullshit carriers are going to be gone because there's no statistical data behind them and, care, and, and shippers won't give them freight, right? Because they control it. Where's the problem come with all this stuff that we talked about? Double and triple and then not dealing directly with the two entities that's involved in this process, and that's a shipper and a carrier. Once you do that, all these things go away. No, exactly. And, you know, I'm glad you pointed out all of all the finer points of it of how this direct system works, but what's the lesson? Eliminate the middleman. Eliminate the middleman. That's the only way you can get rid of the fraud, of the stolen money, uh, of guys not getting paid. Eliminate the middleman, go direct. Well, and one final thought. You know, and, and you know, shippers, and this is a challenge to shippers. If you think sending out an RFP and getting quotes back on an annual, and you're trying to forecast the next 12 months of a particular lane or a particular movement and trying to 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 buy capacity and, and thinking that you have performance and you have inputs that are status updates that are as long as from here to the next conference room next to us, right, in 214 and all this other stuff is outdated. You need to realize that your transportation spend is 20, 30% higher than what it could be if you go direct and you have real data and then you can start analyzing your transportation <clears throat> and start capitalizing on network visibility and start utilizing these 20 or $30 billion of empty miles by good carriers going by your door every day empty. So it's the level of inefficiencies can be corrected with the system, our system, because we're the only one that's built a direct network, period. And I challenge anybody that says, oh, hey, wait, go ahead. I, I did that one, you know, a year ago, challenging a press release. We didn't have anybody, you know, then nobody responded, right? We'll run our, our tech stack in parallel. Why? Because it's taken this long, and I'm not, please don't take this as, a, as you know, arrogant or whatever. It's not about, it's, we got a phenomenal team within in lane access, phenomenal. And guys, it's been here for years. Andrew's been here eight years. You know, these dev guys have been here five, six, seven years. And and they know what they're doing. And we can do things exponentially now because they've been in the groundwork swell of building this. And they've been through the pain of what it's taken to get to this point, right? And so what's going to happen is when is the paradox shift? of the direct network gonna happen. When a major CEO or a C-level CEO of a shipper listens to this and, and takes a hard look at his cost and says, we gotta go direct. And he starts to put in a plan and he contacts us and he starts to build his network and he finds out, oh shit, I, well, we really do have 35 to 40%, 50% of our loads being subcontracted out that we've already got an annual contract delay, but it's really being, that's in an essence a brokered load because if we're a contract with a carrier and he's subcontracting it out to another carrier, 
That happens statistically based on this report 35 to 50% of the time. So, you know, you're talking about, and those are at least 25, 30% per load. So if you're paying them $1,000, it's at least $250 a load that you're paying. And if you're moving 1,000 loads a day, and if it's 350 loads times 250, that's the amount of money you're, that you're buying capacity to get the performance and all the things you, when in reality, the, the punchline to that statement is that the independent guys are hauling your freight anyway. They're giving you the performance. Johnny, give me a sec. I want to give you a spotlight, but I just want to bounce off what Rick was talking about. I mean, look, in my view, there, there's kind of two levels of double brokering, right? There's kind of the small-time double brokering where it's criminal crews or small carriers that are undergoing this, this process of trying to rip people off. Now, on the higher level, right, with the major carriers, and I'm talking about, and this references back to uh, what Rick was talking about with purchase transportation, you know, we looked at the top 13 publicly traded companies and looked at their line item for purchase transportation, which really is a euphemism for, in my view, double brokering. The top 13 carriers spent a combined $27 billion, billion with a B, last year on that one line item, purchase transportation. So, Rick, I think you answered this already, but I'll ask you more directly. Do you consider purchase transportation Double brokering, illegal double brokering. How do you view it? Well, I don't think so. First of all, it's not a spin. That's a revenue, right? Twenty-seven billion dollars is a revenue, right? So, so to clear that up, it was a twenty-seven billion dollar revenue. That's what the revenue they got by giving a contracted rate out and then subcontracting it out to another carrier, right? Um, yeah, I'm not an attorney, so I don't want to give a legal opinion on something. I'm just really wanted to point the fact that I think the audience can draw conclusions on their own, right? Um, what I can say is, is that that is a very costly um, measurement to take to buy capacity on an annual contracted rate when you're talking about this is set 13 companies is 27 billion. What do you think the overall number is? A hundred plus? I do have Right. Apologize for for issuing a correction, but this actually is a line item expenditure. So they spent twenty seven billion dollars on purchase transportation. I'm assuming they made more by subcontracting the freight at far less than what their own contracted. So that's the point. The number is that's the point, right? And 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 so going back to we don't really know, and that's why. This problem, in my opinion, we don't take this to the legislative side. We take this to the network and say, look, go direct because there's too much economic benefit and there's too much value in the tech stack that allows you to go direct. And you're going to realize the cost savings and you're going to effectively have real data that you can really analyze. And you're going to have, you know, market conditions that that vary. You're going to have a network to be able to dynamically, based on what's happened, take your and your freight volumes to be able to to navigate through i get why shippers want to lock an annual contract because they want to build their forecasting in and all the other things i get it okay um and and but you know it's like everything else that we do that we move into efficiency once you move into it you look back and you go man i can't remember you know and and 
you know, well, the internet. You know, I graduated college, it wasn't out. 89. Fax machine just came out. Okay. Um, and then you had two-way radios. Next step, right? And then you have a cell phone. And now everybody's got a smartphone. Well, nobody can really think about hard to remember what it was without your cell phone because you everybody's got it you go anywhere and everybody's on their phone right how long did that take for that transformation to happen a short less than 10 years but damn near everybody's got one you know my mom's got one it's 87 right so the point is is that this transformation is gonna is gonna you're going to look back and go, I can't believe we ever bought capacity for a year when we could build our network and go direct. Now, to defend that side of it, this wasn't possible when I started because the 97% had paper logs and they didn't have a smartphone and they didn't have ELDs. Uh, now there's a device in the cab and now there's technology that you can you can go direct and you can have all the things that we built and we can have the state. Yeah, yeah. So, so... You know, uh, but you have to realize that and you have to move your company when you're spending that kind of money and you're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars or you're talking about in your single company, hundreds of millions or billions of dollars in your freight spend. You got to start really looking at ways that the freight side of it is where the cost is. And the contractual side, what we're talking about this $200 billion is the money side of this game. Real-time visibility and, 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 and global communication and tracking and stuff like that, that's great. And it's necessary and it's needed, right? In my mind, that's an operational side. The front-end side of this is how do you contract your freight? And if you're contracting your freight on an annual contracted basis, you're sending out RFPs and you're getting quotes back from these different guys, they're going to take it from this. That's, that's, you know, horseback and buggy in my mind in today's world. Because you got a network and a system that you can build, unlimited direct carriers based on your equipment type, and that way you can go direct anytime you want. Joe, another uh, question we want to Yeah, which question is, um, I'm just curious, do you think, um, how many percentage of shippers out there even know that this is an issue? Or do you think they even care? I would say, I would say the C-level guys probably don't really know because they're not on the operational side. So I think that there's a fence that the barrier has to come down. And I think the first C-level guys that cross over that fence and they go down to the operational side and say, hey, how does this trend? What are you guys actually doing? How are you guys actually contracting this freight? What is the operational side of this, right? And that side of the fence has to come down here because we talk to these guys and they don't want to mess with it. Why? Because they don't want work. They don't care about the cost, really, right? Because they're in the operations. And that's a new system they have to do. That's a new training they have to do. That's all the other things they have to do. That's work. And so what's going to happen is this bridge that exists today is going to have to come down. And you have to build where this C-level guys really look at the cost and they go how are we contracting this and why are we doing it this way and is there a better way and how do we go direct with who's holding this freight and once that happens it will be a 
paradigm shift and you will see the direct network just, you know, explode. All right, guys, another uh, great discussion. Frankly, this is just one more issue that is plaguing uh, the trucking industry. I don't even know where to rank it because there's so many issues going on right now. But obviously, this is major. When you're talking about 400% increase in complaints about double brokering, and it's just another problem that's getting worse. So there's got to be a fix. All right, folks, thank you for uh, joining us uh, for our latest edition of Let's Be Direct. Stay safe out on the roads, and we will see you next time.